Uh, we're going we're gonna to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. We're, now we're going to get into application. Now, Paul's been talking doctrine. You know, uh, if you read any of Paul's epistles, you'll notice that Paul has one method that's very, very common, is that he gives you two or three chapters of doctrine, or we would just say, you know, real intense teaching. And then he says, this is what it means. This is how you apply this to life. And so that's what he's doing. In Philippians, he's been talking. You remember, he starts off, he's in prison, by the way. And his whole theme is joy in the Christian life. And, and really, I'd like to just start off this morning. What steals the Christian's joy? There's a lot of things that steal our joy in the Christian life. And, you know, we could start, uh, we could name probably a few of them. I mean, Paul uh, is sitting in, in prison. Circumstances definitely affect our joy, doesn't it? I mean, it affects the way we, we, we react to the day, even if we're having a very hard day. Um, later on, he talks about uh, some people that were giving him a hard time. He says some people were, were uh, giving, you know, saying negative things about him. And that was causing him some, uh, that was things that would attack his, his joy in the Lord. And then he, he goes on and talks about uh, false teaching in chapter 3, that that was something that will affect our, our, uh, our joy in the Lord. Because if people refocus where our, our joy is in the Lord, and if you refocus our attention on something other than Christ, then it's going to steal our joy. And so Paul's, Paul, you could, almost, you could almost put a big title on Philippians, fighting for, my, fighting for joy in the Lord. And, and as a Christian, isn't that true? A lot of times we are down and out because we're not sure of, what's, of all the things that are coming at us. Well, in chapter 4, he's going to apply all of this, but he also is going to deal with another thing that steals our joy, and that's conflict. I mean, uh, wouldn't, you want, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be great? I mean, think about all the relationships that you've ever had, you know, friends, uh, people in the past and everything, and even current, if they could just have, uh, you know... Uh, like a, a no hassle, no hassle or a hassle free sign, you know, this, that relationships come without any, any problems, without any conflict. Wouldn't that be great? Or would it? It, it would, <laughs> I mean, think about most of, most of our struggles in the Christian life are, are related to relationships, aren't they? I mean, technically. And that's what Paul is dealing with. I, uh, I remember uh, in one uh, particular case, uh, situation, I was called in, as, in our presbytery to a church that uh, when people came in, um, there, it was divided church. And, and in fact, it was so divided that the people that were on one, in one group sat on one side of the church, and the other people that sat on the other group, they came in and they sat on this side. And uh, I mean, they basically, they the, the people that were for, for this group of people were, were for certain things set on this side. Another per, and, and it was basically when you came through the door, you had to make a choice. You know, whose side are you on? And if you said, well, I'm on Jesus' side, I guess you sat in the middle. I don't know. They didn't have a middle, they didn't have a middle section for, for people to do that. But, but Paul's dealing with, he's not dealing with doctrinal issues in chapter 4. He's dealing with relational issues. He's basically saying this is how your relationship with Jesus Christ should affect your everyday life. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's friendships, whether it's neighbors, whether it's uh, church. And, uh, and probably uh, in one sense, probably the most difficult, I think, for people um, is 
I mean, we need relationships, but I think that oftentimes the church sometimes can be a place where it's very difficult. And so the title of my message is The Biblical Way of Managing Church Conflict. And you say, why did I choose that title? Well, because it's chapter, in chapter 4, that's what he's dealing with. He's dealing with how do two sisters get along? You, so you got Yodia and you got Syntyche, and they don't get along. And you know, usually what happens is... Um, and I just remember somebody telling me this, too, is uh, two sisters were having this, uh, this spat. And, uh, and one of the sisters was related to somebody else. And it's kind of like, well, you have to choose sides. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, that immediately began to cause friction in the church. And so, uh, so Paul's dealing with that. But how does he deal with? And I think he gives us three principles, I think, that are really helpful in dealing with conflict in church. And, and I think, you know, as, I, as I've been meditating, thinking about this, as I was mowing grass even, I was, uh, this thing was going through my mind. There's three, three specific things he's going to deal with here. But I want us to notice those, first three, those three things that he deals with. First of all, he talks about his care for the people he's dealing with. He reaffirms them. Uh, you might say that uh, his, he, he encourages them with his loving care. You know, he, he uses words here to, to show, you know, they're really important. And then he's going to talk about giving them uh, wise counsel. And then, um, and then, he's, going to get, then he's going to come alongside them. And in, in addition, he's going to give them uh, some specific things that he wants them uh, to be doing. Or you might say, I call this gospel correction. He's going, to, he's going to give them some correction or guidance here. So notice in chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to read verses through, first five verses. Notice, when Paul says, therefore, he's applying everything that he's been saying. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the way, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion... Uh, some of your uh, Bibles might say yoke fellow there. Help these, two, these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or moderation be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and and uh, we would just ask that uh, we might hear the sweet uh, voice of Christ, even as uh, this uh, song just reminded us that, uh, Father, there's a sweetness in Christ and a sweetness in fellowship with God's people. And, uh, Father, may your Holy Spirit guide us as we uh, meditate and as we reflect on this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, so since the beginning of time, relationships have always been difficult, right? I mean, think about it. When the, after the fall, what happened? Adam, Adam's children, Adam and Eve's children, uh, Cain and Abel, uh, got into a spat, and one of them uh, uh, murdered the other, the other uh, sibling. Um, but, but from the beginning, there's always been trouble in relationships. And, uh, and the problem is not that, that there's going to be issues. The problem is, is how do we react to the issues? Um, in other words, 20% of life, I mean, 20% is, of life is just about the struggles and troubles that we go through. 80% is how do we react to those struggles. And, and I, I think that a lot of times, I mean, we could ask ourselves, well, think about your best relationship, whether that's husband, wife, or whether, 
uh, you know, just a, uh, just a real close friend. I mean, have you ever felt I misunderstood? Uh, or, or, you know, or uh, have you ever felt like uh, you haven't been heard, you know? Uh, hello, anybody home? Uh, where, where, where are you at? Uh, you know, how... Have you ever had somebody misunderstand what you say? I mean, you meant it well, but it was misunderstood, and they, they don't talk to you anymore. In fact, I, uh, remember, I remember one particular person, um, when um, she was irritated at me or something, she would just walk by me. She would just, she, she just, I was, I was, I was invisible. For some reason, it was like, hello, <laughs> I'm here. Uh, and uh, sometimes, and I, but, but, you know, but, but so there's, uh, you know, we think about the, how, how often people hold grudges. How long do they hold grudges? You know, uh, sometimes they will have grudges and they won't tell you what's wrong. They'll say, well, no, that's nothing. Well, I know, but you, you never call anymore. You never talk to me anymore. You never, and, and you can go on and on. But, but all of us have had those types of relationships. I mean, even like, I mean, anybody that's been married can't, can't say it that 100% of the time you and your wife agreed. You know, it just doesn't happen. I mean, part of what makes a marriage a marriage is that you work through issues. And in those doing that, it strengthens, it strengthens the marriage. And that's what, um, what Paul's dealing with here. But I think that, that some people, and I think that's true here, that sometimes people want to pretend that there's no pink elephant in the room. Now, you've been in that right situation. You know, there's this tension, and um, there's the pink elephant that's in the room, but nobody says anything. And you know what that's called, don't you? It's called, it's called peace faking. You just pretend it doesn't exist. It'll go away. Um, it's, it's a way of just saying, you know, I don't have to address that. It's about, it's not, it doesn't bother me. It's not, I mean, it's not going to affect me. So, and if I get involved, I don't have to. That's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to take resources. I don't want. To, I don't. I just don't want to do that. Or the other way of doing this is like, oh, there's a problem. I'll just straighten this out. And so you focus on you. And guess what? That's called peace breaking. In other words, I'm going to attack not the 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 problem. You attack the person, and you just basically focus on the other person. But in both of those cases, what happens to the relationship? You kiss the relationship goodbye. Right. And that's not the way God wants us to handle those types of situations. And so, in fact, Paul gives us, I think, a real good kind of a, a, I think, a good way to approach conflict, regardless of who it's with or in what situation. And he, get, and he, and he does that, I think, in a way that, that, that presses conciliation without actually telling somebody else who's right and who's wrong, Right. So if somebody comes to you, well, I, I've got an issue. Would you conciliate with this, this, this situation? Now, they're probably wanting to you to what? Side with them. And if you side with them, what have you done? You've lost the other person, right? So you've lost, you've lost the other person. So, so what Paul does here, I think, is beautiful, is that he brings these two people together and he encourages them but he also tells them something about who's present in this situation. You know, he reminds them that do this, be, be united in mind in the Lord, that the Lord is present. He's, he's, he's reminding them of their relationship to Christ and the gospel. And so uh, let's just look at these verses, especially verse 1 right now, is that how does Paul express his genuine loving care 
for uh, this church. Well, notice he says, I, he says uh, my brothers, well, first of all, that's a very strong term of endearment, whom I love and I long for. My joy and my crown stand firm, uh, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So, so you notice how he uses, I mean, uh, not just one term, but, but this church was so important to Paul's ministry. Uh, they had been with Paul. Remember Paul in Second Missionary Journey in Acts 16, that when Paul started this church, um, remember he got thrown in prison because of preaching the gospel and the Philippian jailer got saved. Lydia got saved before that. And that church was stood with Paul when he had a need. They would send him a gift. Uh, when he was in prison, they sent him their, one of their pastors uh, or at least one of the prominent men in this congregation in chapter 2, Epaphroditus. So this church was so important to him. Relationships are so important, right? Because our relationships mirror something important. Our relationships mirror our relationship with God. The, the greatest community that there is, the, the most perfect community there is, is in the Trinity. So what does God do? He creates community when he brings people into the church. He's created community. And that community is a reflection of our unity in Christ, our unity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so, so this is, so, so Paul is addressing, uh, but, but he's doing that. Notice, but it's almost as if Paul's basically saying, look, you people are so important to me. I don't want to lose any of you. In fact, notice what he says, you're my crown of rejoicing. He, he thinks of himself in a race and he's saying, when I get, when I get to heaven, guess who's going to be my crown? It's you people. Isn't that, cool? Isn't that something? I mean, he, he's saying my pride and joy, my, 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 my elation, my, my excitement, my, my, whole, my whole desire and emotion is wrapped up in the Philippian church. He doesn't say this about the Corinthian church, by the way. You ever notice that? <laughs> he doesn't say it about all the churches, but he does say it about Philippi. And, and he's just saying, you know, you're my crown, my joy, my crown of rejoicing before God. So it's, he says that about the Thessalonians, by the way. First Thessalonians chapter, like the end of chapter 1, he says, you're my crown of rejoicing. But, but they had brought him so much encouragement. He just wanted them to know, look, before we even talk about anything, about any disputes, about any of this issue, I just want you to know I love you. Now, if somebody says, you know, you really care. Now, by the way, guys, we don't talk this way, do we? Well, I told you I loved you when I got married to you. Isn't that enough? <laughs> or I brought you flowers, I can't remember, was it 20 years ago? You know, we, 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 we are really kind of dense when it comes to th our words, aren't we? Because we're, we're told that, hey, to be manly, we, you, know, be, you know, be tough, we're, we're not supposed to talk this way. But here's the Apostle Paul using very, I would say very warm, caring, loving, uh, almost, it's, it's almost as like such a fatherly thing. You're kind of like, yeah, I'd like to sit down and talk, talk to you about some of the struggles we're having. Because he's already what? He's already disarmed them. He's not coming and saying, look, Yodia, Sandige, suck it up and get back to work. He doesn't do that. Do you know that you're irritating? You're really interrupting my, my apostolic mission here? He doesn't say that. Don't you know that you're really, I mean, this is really embarrassing to me as an apostle. Would you guys get along? He doesn't do that. 
He just says, I love you. I just really want you. I just, I just want you to know how much I care for you. You're really important to me. And that disarms them. And he's not doing this as a psychological tool to, you know, to, you know, to make things, you know, not, 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 he's not just doing this. This is not fake. This is Paul saying, this is my heart. I want you to know what I think about a lot. When I'm sitting in prison, I think about those precious visits that I've had in your home. Those precious visits that we've had together as we discussed um, the needs within the church. And isn't that the way God deals with us? Think about how does God deal with Abraham? God was called the friend that Abraham, the friend of Abraham. And what did God do when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? It says that God says, should I tell Abraham? <laughs> and notice that, and God says, well, I'm going to I'm gonna tell Abraham. And he tells Abraham and Abraham prays. Well, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you destroy them? No, I won't do it. For, well, if there's 45, no, I won't do it. 45. If there's 30, no, I won't do it. If there's 30. If there's 20, no, I won't do it. If there's 20. If there's 15, no. If there's 10, I won't even do it. If there's 10, he stops there. But, but God shares, he wants to know what Abraham is thinking because God is a friend of Abraham. And in the church, brothers and sisters, we are friends with each other. There has to be that kind of that dialogue that, that, we, that we value the friendship that so much that we're willing to say, you know, the main thing here is our community, our unity in Christ. Notice that, that's what he says there. Stand fast, stand fast thus in the Lord. He doesn't just say stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast thus in the Lord. And so he's, he's, he's basically bringing them in and say, you know, we're together. We're family. Uh, unity, the idea of unity, when Jesus was praying for unity in John 17, it says, the one request is, Father, that they might be one as who? As we are one. Because that unity is the very community that witnesses to the wider community. You see? The uni so community is an expression of unity, which is what communion does, right? Communion communion is expression of unity. Our bot, we're together one in Christ and with individual members of the body. And so Paul, so that's how Paul starts. But notice then he gets some counsel. But notice his counsel is, is a little different than what I would get. It's kind of like, all right, let's settle this. Okay, you did what? Okay, I'm going to write that down. And when you did what? Okay, I'll write that down. And uh, a little bit of argument. Well, no, no, it really wasn't like that. Yes, it was. I remember. No, it wasn't. And you have this dialogue between each other. And there's this, you know, and you're trying to sort through all the details. Well, he doesn't do that here. Notice what he does. He, in verse 2, I entreat. And now you can, now that word there is used. I beg, I urge you. Yodia and Cynthia. And, I, and notice, I entreat Yodia. But notice what he does. And I entreat Cynthia. Why doesn't he, why does he, why does he repeat it twice? Part of the reason is he's saying, look, I entreat you and I, and I, and I entreat you too. Now I want you too to agree in the Lord. He's not saying anything about the conflict. Well, I want, come on, you know, I've got, you know, would you get down to, would you get down to the nitty gritty? I want to know who's right and who's wrong, right? He doesn't do that. He just says, look, I want you to agree in the Lord. But notice how he does it. He, he's basically, that word there, entreat, is the word that's used of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's the paraclesis. 
The paraclete. We know who the paraclete is, right? It's the Holy Spirit. He says, I urge you. That's not, in other words, Paul is saying, I'm coming alongside you, and I'm putting my arm around you, and I'm putting my arm around you, Syntyche. He says, I'm urging you, and I'm urging you. And he's got his hands around him. He says, he's coming. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside us, and he holds us close, and he's saying, I'm urging you to agree in the Lord, to agree in the Lord. Well, wait there. I've got, I've got, would you get to, would you get, oh, I, he's right, I'm wrong. No, I'm wrong. He's right. No, he doesn't do that. I mean, isn't it interesting that Paul, Paul's, Paul's coming with, now, now he could come as an apostle, couldn't he? I order you to get your act together here in, in Philippi. I, I'm demanding you. He's an apostle. Paul could have said, I command you. He doesn't do that. He's saying, I'm entreating you. It's the same word that Paul uses in, uh, in, Ro- in Romans chapter 12. And he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. You know, present yourself, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. So, so he's, he's coming alongside, not as the teacher, not even as the preacher, you know, because he uses... You know, he's not the teacher. He's not coming just as the teacher. He's not the preacher. No, he's coming alongside and saying, look, I'm here to help. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to sit down and discuss this. And so Paul, Paul's very, um, so, so again, he's not, he's not taking sides, is he? He's just saying, agree in the Lord. You're kind of like, well, what does that mean? Well, uh, it, it, it does mean that the whole focus has to be on what does God want? in this conflict what will please god in this conflict that's the issue it's not addressing each one of their their resentment or ability doesn't even uh, doesn't mention that but notice what else he does here is he's trying to get their commitment you notice that that uh, because he's saying be of the same mind he's just basically saying now let's just let's just focus on the gospel for a little bit what does the gospel tell us about our relationship to God. Grace says this, it's unearned. I don't deserve it, right? Now, what, what happens in relationships is that we begin with a relationship. It's all what? Love, 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 right? Then what happens? There's an argument. And there's irritation. There's lack of forgiveness. But what is the cross all about? Reconciliation and forgiveness. It's about unearned grace. Grace is unearned. And if I treat, so if there's two people in it, so he's basically saying, let's get back to the gospel here. The weapons of your warfare warfare as a Christian are mighty for the pulling down of the strongholds. Where are the strongholds at? They're in my heart. I still have pride here. I still have, um, you know, there's still that tinge of the love of the world that I don't see. Uh, they're still holding on to my rights, right? I mean, think about it. What causes conflict? My rights. And Paul's, Paul's, without even saying that, Paul is dealing with those destructive things and conflicts. Um, Jack Miller says this. I like what, I'm going to read his quote because I, I can't do justice to it. But he says, a negative, destructive conflict will always have pride in it. Someone else and your own. <laughs> I like that. In other words, my pride gets in the way and the other person's pride. The red flag that marks conceit or pride is when you think you're the better than someone else. 
The inability to see yourself as you really are, which is what leads to unkind, damaging words, unwounds, and counter words, and ends with Christ being dishonored. But, but think about it. Think about all the words that we say to each other that we can't take back because words do wound. You can't take those words back. But what, what's the source? What, what's Paul trying to address? He's basically trying to address each one of us to deal with our own sinful attitudes. You know, to deal with the source. You know, Jesus said, out of the heart comes what? Conflict, right? That's what he says there in, in, in the Gospels, and I think in Mark 7. But James says it this way. He says, here's the picture of the heart. And uh, in James chapter 4, verses 1, he says, what, what causes conflicts and so forth? He says, it's the desires in your heart. You want something, and if you don't get it, what do you do? See, think about it. If you could put up, if you could draw a circle, and I'm not asking you to, but if you, let's just say you drew a circle, and in that circle you put my expectations in my relationships. Your expectation. Because you all have, I'll have, I have my expectations, don't you? And then put another circle there. Those expectations become needs, things that I have to have in this relationship to be happy. And then after sight of that, you put on there disappointment. What happens if those needs aren't met? Disappointment. What happens when you get disappointed? Well, usually somebody has to pay. <laughs> and if you're the one that has to pay... Then so, so somebody has to be punished. So that's the, other, the, the, the fourth circle is punishment. Who am I going to punish? I'll either punish you, or I'll punish God, or I'll punish myself. Sometimes we end up punishing other people. We just, okay, I'll give them the silent treatment. Oh, I see that person coming. I'll walk on the other side of the street. Just so I didn't see them. It's like, what? What was that? Well, I'm punishing them. Well, you wouldn't say that to yourself. You're just saying, well, I don't want to really talk to them because, you know, they irritate me. But, but so, so you notice how that, that expectation becomes what? A need that you have to have to be happy to do what? And you, you begin to demand that, you know, of those relationships. And by the way, no relationship, whether it's marriage, whether it's in the church, or whether it's in your neighborhood or with people, no relationship can you demand of that relationship what Jesus Christ will ultimately and does promise to give you in the relationship? And if you try to get that out of any, relation, any human relationship, you'll walk away disappointed. And you'll walk away angry and punishing somebody. We try to deal with the people's, I used to say, you know, we always are wanting to deal with people's actions but we never really get down to what caused the action, the expectation that we bring to a relationship. And so the punishment gets, so, so let's just say somebody is really angry and they're just really, they're, 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 be, they're, they're, not, they're peace breaking. <laughs> okay, what has happened? They didn't get something they expected. Disappointment, demand, punishment, action. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay. And, and ultimately, it's either that person pays or sometimes we punish God. I'll just stop. I'll just, you know, I'll just stop reading my Bible. I'll stop praying. I've told, I have people tell me that I'm angry at God. They, they wouldn't say they're angry at God, but I say, it sounds like you're angry at God. Well, if you stop reading your Bible and you stop praying, there's a certain amount of anger there and disappointment. What, what's God trying to do in that, though? Is that bad? 
Or is God trying to say, we have put something in our expectation more important to us than our relationship with God? And it's going to not work. And God's saying, my grace is going to make sure that it doesn't work. And I just, because I want you, you're mine. I don't want anybody else to have my, your, your affections belong to me ultimately, right? To love God with all my heart, my might, and my soul. So those, those disappointments and all, so we can look back. And, I, and by the way, I could name lots of disappointment and, and a lot of ways that I, that I, that I messed up. But you know something, what I realized is that God, that was God's way of showing me some of the things that I needed changed. And I had to go back to God and say, Lord, I just need, I need grace here. And you know, that's, and that's when the gospel begins to change us. And that's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to bring them back to the very fount, the very, because we're, I mean, haven't you ever asked yourself, I've been a Christian for this many years and I still, boy, some, I mean, does anybody know your hot button? Oh, I know his hot button. Boom. And, yeah. You know, and, they, and, and if they know your hot button, they just keep pressing it, don't they? And uh, I just remember, boy, I, I just wonder why I blew up so quickly. Ah, you know, it's like, oh, he got my hot button again. And now pray, Lord, I, you know, don't let him get my hot button. But I haven't really dealt with the source yet. I haven't dealt with my expectation that I'm putting too much. In other words, do I want to be accepted or approved by somebody so much so that I'm willing to sin against God. And you know what God says? There's been times that's happened, John, and you need to repent. And you go like, oh. <laughs> but that's where biblical change begins to happen in your marriage. Because it's never one person's all that one person's fault, isn't it? You got two people in a marriage. We all bring our expectations to it. Guess what happens? Well, if we, bring, if, we, if, we don't, if we don't realize that, that we're doing that, we'll just probably have fights and arguments, and, and one of us will be on the floor, and the other one will be like, ah, yes, you know. And it happens. It, it, it's, it's, that's real life. And then you look at it, and you go like, that was so childish. And then you go like, but Lord, that's where my heart was. And God's saying, I know, and I want your heart to be mine. So, so, so Paul, Paul's encouraging, but notice he doesn't, he doesn't say, you unbelievers, you sinners, just get out of the church. Notice what he says here right at the end, right in verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, he's asking for this person who apparently was uh, come alongside him and, and helped him through some issues. I don't know, it might have been Barnabas, by the way. By the way, Paul blew up at Barnabas one time. Help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. And notice, whose names are where? They're in the book of life. How did they get there? Unearned grace. <laughs> well, you mean they didn't have to be perfect to get in there? No. <laughs> Paul says they're in the book of life. That's the gospel. I didn't get there because I had to earn that. It's because God in his love and grace came and saved me, gave me the ability to, when I heard the message, the Holy Spirit enabled me to believe. That's grace. And Paul's saying, that's the same thing I want you to do with each other. Now you guys work out the problem now, see? Without Paul, Paul's not actually working their problem out, is he? He's saying, Here's the, here's the foundation. 
This is how you work it out. It's the gospel. Take the gospel into your every situation, your children's lives, your relationships, and apply it. And, and so, so, so that's what Paul's doing here. And he tells them to do, he, basically he does, he does give them some correction. But you know the correction is this, forgiveness is warfare. How hard is it to forgive somebody? Would you forgive me? Isn't it hard sometimes to do that? And isn't Paul, when he's saying stand fast in the Lord, that word there is military. It means like this. It means you are in a warfare and the warfare is with your heart. And your heart is saying, I don't want to forgive. I'm going to hold this against them as long as I live. And Paul's saying, stand fast in the Lord. He's saying, he's saying, forgiveness is war. It's a war against your selfish desires because you want it all your way. And if it's not your way, then it's what? It's the highway. And that's what happens. And, and Paul's basically saying, take a stand, but in that standing, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the gospel. Hold to, to those principles of, of God's forgiveness and love because at the very center of our kingdom as Christians is this. There's a big cross there, and it's all about Jesus' suffering, and it's not about mine. It's about Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. It's about his forgiveness. It's about his cleansing. It's about, in other words, don't go AWOL in the midst of, I mean, when you get in a conflict, what do you want to do? I just want to peace fake all, I, I, I deny it. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, well, and you just run. Fleeing is peace faking. By the way, what do you think the most prominent way churches deal with conflict? It's peace faking. I don't see any pink elephants in the room. Oh, it's right there in the middle. You can't walk through there. I know, but I don't see anything. Well, just look. Well, I do, and I don't see it. It's the pink elephant. And Paul's saying, and what's he saying? He's basically saying this. Is he saying we've got to resist the sinful tendencies. In other words, if I could say this, what is your default mode when you get into a conflict? What's the default mode? Flee or attack and oftentimes it's not conciliate. And, I, and I'm speaking to myself here. I mean, I'm thinking about, boy, all the times that I could have conciliated. I mean, I basically wanted to be, what? I want to be right, right? Why do you have a fight? <laughs> if, well, I just want to be forgiven. No, you don't. You want to be right. That's why you had the fight in the first place. Is you wanted to be right, right? And, you know, and you want somebody to tell you that you were right, you're right. Oh, thank you. That makes me feel better. You were right. Okay, sit down. You know, we're, it, it, that, that's, that's what Paul's saying. No, he's, he, he's basically saying, look, this is warfare. And every time you forgive, you know what happens? You make the invisible kingdom of God, his grace visible to people. They need to see forgiveness being practiced within the community of God's people. It has to be there. It has to be evident. And that's the greatest witness. Think about the, the second thing Paul says this is that not only is it about warfare, it's about worship. Rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4. And you say, well, how does that, why did he fit that one right in there? Well, you ever try to rejoice when you're in conflict? <laughs> 
You're, I mean, you're like, a, why in the world would he follow up like a verse, rejoice in the Lord always? Well, well, I can see why, because that's not really my natural inclination. He's really getting back to, I mean, think about what David said in Psalm 51 when he had sinned against, uh, he had sinned. He says, why did he pray? Restore to me the joy of what? My salvation. When you rejoice in the Lord, you're rejoicing in your salvation. And that joy is something that the world, no matter circumstances, no matter what the stock market does tomorrow or today, no matter whether, you know, you're in prison or not, <laughs> we hope not, uh, you, you know, no matter all those things, my joy is in the Lord. Nobody can steal that from me. My, nobody can steal my salvation. My salvation is secure in Christ. And he's saying you can rejoice in the Lord, even in the midst of that conflict. It doesn't mean that you go around saying, ah, yeah, no big deal. No, he's just saying, but just focus on the fact that your salvation is something that's secure because of the cross and because of what Christ accomplished for us. And so that's, that's his second. So, so you can see that he deals with what? Warfare, forgiveness, and reconciliation, our walk or, or our worship. And now he's going to talk about our walk. So he tells us right there in verse 5, Forbear, Lord, let your forbearance, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord's at hand. He's just saying, okay, kind of moderate your reaction. Because usually what happens when you are in a conflict, what's the first, my first reaction is, you said what? <laughs> and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you're going like, and you're holding to your, you know, you're just really, you're just so angry. You're just, you know, I mean, and he's saying, no, let your moderation, that's, that's self-control he's talking about. Let your moderation, notice, be known to all men or to everyone, what? The Lord's present right now. In that conflict, God is there and he's watching. He's seeing it. His presence is with his people. And, he's, and so, Paul, so Paul hasn't said anything about who's right and wrong so far, right? But he's told him a lot about who? About Jesus Christ, about the gospel, and their connection, their assurance in the gospel, the lordship of Christ. He's not said anything about who's right and wrong. And you're going like, wow, I wonder what they actually what the actual problem was, we don't know. <laughs> I mean, think about it, you know, uh, I think I was, re I, I was watching something, I think it was Hatfield and McCoy's, and, uh, you know, that feud went on a long time, didn't it? What started the feud? Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you most of the people have forgotten what, the, what actually caused the problem. <laughs> it's just, hey, you did this to me, I'm doing, it was all, what? It was all vengeance. And uh, destroyed, and so uh, and so as we as we think about conflict, I want you to think about it in a and not only in the broader terms, but even like in your marriage, in your your day to day relationships with people. Don't discount that conflict actually does have a good point in it. I'm not saying it's good in and of itself, but think about it that conflict actually causes us to react a certain way and we don't always have to react right at that point but it shows us where our heart is and what is God's desire he wants I love that picture of the reformation there's this hand with the heart in it it's God's hand he wants your heart he wants your affections 
And he doesn't want anybody else to have those affections. That first place has to be God's. And, God's, and, and that's what the Reformation was about. It was about Christ alone. He's the center of my affections. And, and that brings, brings that to, you know, to, to help us deal with, with conflict. And I, and, and I think one of the closing things I was saying is like, when I get into conflict, you know what I usually try to think about? I think about measuring my potential to deal with it. You can't do that. What you have to remember, God is present. God is in my midst. And God has made promises in the gospel that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That is how you approach it. You, you always have to go back to gospel-focused reconciliation, gospel-focused forgiveness, gospel-focused unity, gospel-focused, let's bring it all before God. Let's do what pleases God first. And then all these, the, the things that start it are really minimal most of the time. They're usually things that they are my preferences, but they are not the essentials of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we just ask that you would bless it to our hearts. Lord, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot, um, and sometimes we get confused. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. To be, Father, what you want.